Hey, everyone, and welcome to the fourth episode of Assets Anonymous. And this is your 12-step podcast to get grounded in reliability basics and create a culture of continuous improvement with your teams. I'm your host, Tom Wolf, the Chief Editor of Plant Services, and I'm pleased once again to be joined by Joe Anderson and George Williams of Reliability X, which aims to bridge the gap between operations and maintenance through holistic reliability focused on plant performance. Guys, welcome back to episode four today. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Thomas. You know, uh, episode three outlined something that you termed the circle of fire, which is a vicious cycle that teams can get in when it comes to firefighting and, and um, repair jobs, and you can't really break into more proactive modes. Um, today, we're going to focus on becoming a fire marshal. And a lot of that uh, zeroes in on how to build credibility among your team to affect culture change. Um, so, George, um, you had outlined uh, the various levels of what it means to become a fire marshal. Can you talk about those two levels? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Thomas. So uh, for me, I see this as being a two-part uh, step approach to becoming a fire marshal. One is the advocacy piece, right? The how do I engage with operations, with senior leadership, with, with you know, and we're saying from the perspective of a maintenance manager and even with the technicians, how do I manage the change of looking at defects as early as possible to mitigate them before they become a risk to the business or even a catastrophic event that has a business impact? And then the other side of that is, well, what steps do I take as a fire marshal? How do I, how do I actually become one in terms of my actions? What do I have to do to mitigate defects as early as possible? You know, Joe, you've written a couple of articles for plant services where you really effectively outline the various layers of communication that good maintenance techs need to engage in to, to communicate with the plant. And maybe we can start the question of how you become a fire marshal by talking with you about, you know, there, there's various levels of the maintenance organization where people can have a different kind of impact on becoming a fire marshal. There's, there's the frontline technical crew, mm-hmm. there's the supervisory level, which is sort of middle management, then you get more into the senior plant manager kind of kind of levels. Maybe we can start with um, uh, the, from a technician level, the frontliner. What can those folks do to become uh, fire marshals? I think with them, it's about uh, engaging with the operators, right? So as a maintenance mechanic, we know that you always rely on your best operator, right? And so when, when you have, when uh, your good operator calls you over to a line, you know you need to bring some tools because typically they're taking care of stuff on their own, right? Mm -hmm. And so, but the problem is, is we dread the call from the operator that doesn't have as much skill, right? And a lot of times that upsets us because we're not really upset at the operator. We're upset at management for allowing an incompetent person to come out and work on our machines, right? They have this built-in excuse, but... I lay a lot of that blame on the maintenance folks and the fact that they're not out there trying to make their operators better. Right. And so when, as a firefighter, if, if, if I was a fire marshal as a mechanic, I would be out working with my operators, the, the ones on the lower end of the spectrum and trying to help get their skill sets up. And, you know, in the meantime, I might actually learn something from them, too. 
which <laughs> typically happens, right? Which makes you a better mechanic, you know? And so spending time with them, focusing on their skills, teaching them some of the nuances, because no one's trained these operators most of the time. Most of the time it's, okay, you've been here three months um, putting things in a box. Now you're running this machine. And that's the amount of training that they get. And so we get upset at the operators when it's not really their fault. There's a lack of a training system um, to pass people on. There's no qualification on how to run this machine and, and all that stuff. So I would focus really getting their skill sets in shape as well as focusing on myself. I know that we have problems, right? What can I do to fix them? And if you don't have the knowledge, everyone has the internet today. Everyone has a cell phone in their hand. Mm -hmm. You can start Googling questions you have, and I'm sure people have responded through blogs or videos or podcasts or anything else mm -hmm. that can help you start to change your skill set and the way that you see things out on the floor, right? Mm -hmm. The biggest thing is how can I solve problems? If I don't know how to solve problems, you know, how do I go about doing it? Root cause analysis for a mechanic, when they hear that term, you almost cringe because the implementation has failed due to a lack of understanding from an organizational level down. And so they hear, what do you mean I got to do root cause? I got to go fill out a piece of paper and turn it in because you're forced to, for every failure, turn in a piece of paper that said you did a 5Y or something. When, when we're talking about root cause analysis, I don't care if you document it or not. It's nice to have that documentation so that if you see that problem again, you understood how you fixed it, right? Or you can trend problems over time, but let's throw the paperwork aside and let's just solve the problem. What is the root cause of this issue? What is causing this issue to occur, right? And going out and solving problems. So from a mechanic perspective, I would work with my operations group and I would work on my own skill set when it comes to problem solving. Mm -hmm. right. You know, that reminds me of a, a quote from Colin Powell, actually, from uh, back in the 90s, the first Gulf War days, when he's talking about leadership. And he says that uh, when people stop coming to you for help, they do so either because they think you can't help or that you won't help. And either of those conditions is a, is a failure of leadership. And Joe, it sounds like from what you're talking about that mechanics can really take on a leadership role here uh, without saying I am a capital L leader. You're simply being of service and of use and, and, and growing the knowledge base of the operators. Hardly anyone in any organization is a leader by title outside mm -hmm. of those in the upper echelons of management. The problem is, is that every one of us are leaders in some aspect of our life. Mm -hmm. So to throw that you know, we throw that term out and people think I'm not a leader. All they're doing is, is saying, don't blame me. It's not my fault, mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, well, you're a leader. Are you a father? Are you a mother? Right. Right. You're leading children. <laughs> you're, do you're doing stuff all the time. And so to me, that's excuses. If you want to get better, you're going to find a way to get better. And if you don't want to get better, you're stuck in this mode. I'm sorry. I can't help you. Right. I mean, that there's no helping until you come to the realization yourself that you need help. I can't help you. Right. And so it kind of is what it is. And it all it all boils down to leadership. When you think about why 
the maintenance folks are not talking to operations folks on a regular basis or why folks in the office are not walking the plant floor. Mm-hmm. That all boils down to leadership. I mean, Joe and I make a living. Uh, you ever see Office Space? You ever seen a movie Office Space? Oh, yes. Yeah. All right. So, so I take requirements from the customers and give them the engineering. I mean, you don't need, all you got to do is listen, right? <laughs> Why can't they do that? Well, I got people skills, you know. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> we just listen. If, 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 main, if the maintenance staff listen to operations, if operations listens to maintenance and if leadership is asking those folks to listen to each other actively, I don't mean they said that once three years ago during an annual meeting, I mean, they are active advocates of that communication and bridging that communication gap. You'll make a difference in the organization simply by talking to one another and listening to one another. Yep. Hmm. Well, let me move on to the next sort of level of the maintenance team, which is a supervisory level, uh, the middle managers. You know, we, Tom Moriarty in plant services has done a leadership survey over a couple of years now. And he's once again finding that supervisors uh, happen to be uh, the part of the team which are often report the least amount of motivation. They have the most responsibility and the least amount of authority to solve problems. Outside of, you know, you're both talking about that personal authority, which comes from credibility. Um, but yeah, this this is the, this is the team that gets pinched, and also the kind of the kind of team member that will get put into a, a formal leadership position without a whole lot of leadership training. Um, of course. <laughs> right, so. happens all the time hey this guy can really fix machines he'll be a good supervisor right right yeah, I, I think Tom found that the average time between promotion to supervisor and leadership training was eight years that was the average time wow. <laughs> uh, that's because there's a lot of infinities there <laughs> you're right yeah. Yeah. so well that's let's talk if you're about... still there in that position eight years later so. yeah. yeah yeah well how do you help how, how are people in that position? How can they help themselves become fire marshals? Or where would you turn, tell those folks to uh, seek support for that? Because they're in a unique position of they have a lot more people work than the mechanics do. Um, they do, but through credibility, you develop influence. Mm-hmm. And at that level, influence is highly, highly important, which means you have to get credibility. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so... At that level, it's about getting the quick wins and then sharing the wins, not taking credit for it, Mm -hmm. the credit to the team. The team did a great job. You did nothing in the scheme of things. So for you to take credit for it is selfish and ignorant, right? And in the end, you ruin your credibility. (laughs) So the goal is, is to go get some quick wins. You mm-hmm. see a bag jamming a hundred times a day and everyone clears the bag jam and they go on about their life. No one is solving the issue as to why the bag is jamming. Right. So I go out, I solve that problem for the operator. That operator loves me to death now mm-hmm. because I made their life easy. Right. That's credibility. You have to actually be out there. Like George said, listening. And when they tell you about problems, you give them priority. The problem is some of your most frustrated employees are the people, they're almost toxic and you don't 
no one wants to go around these people. But the reason, a lot of the reason they've become that way is because they've known about problems for years and no one has listened to them. Joe and I walked a facility um, about a, two months ago and there was this proprietary technology that was being used to uh, insert the product into a package. And the folks that were giving us the tour were bragging about this proprietary technology. Um, meanwhile, there was a human in front of it fixing the product because it wasn't actually doing what it was supposed to do correctly. Yeah. The next day we asked if, you know, it, what, did they might put work orders in for the stuff we saw while we were on that tour? The answer was no. So you're so focused on explaining how awesome this is, <laughs> but clearly there's a problem, right? I mean, we're, we've got somebody in front of this correcting this issue that doesn't need to be there that probably has better things to do with their day. Um, but unfortunately their function is to make up the slack for what this technology was not doing and probably easily solvable. I don't know the answer to that. We only took a brief tour, um, but that's the type of stuff that should be, that's an immediate eye-opening defect that should not exist. Yeah. And if you walk by this and consider it white noise, then you have not raised your bar high enough. You have to, you know, whether it's the supervisor level or any of the additional levels we're going to talk about, the bar needs to be defects are not acceptable. And every time you walk by a defect, you should be finding out why it exists and what are we going to do about it? Because it, it's not, it, it's, it should be completely unacceptable. I took a plant tour once and the plant manager walked us around the tour and there was, there was, there was one, one place where we walked by these pallets and there were a nail sticking out and the plant manager walked by and shimmied past it. And I stopped and bent the nail out of the way. Mm -hmm. And then we walked up on a catwalk and there was a bunch of cleaning equipment, um, brooms and poles that they use to clean something laying on the floor at a catwalk. That's a trip hazard. This person walked right past it, stepping in between the stuff to show me something on the catwalk. And I took those things and put them where they belong and came up. And I had never been in the facility before. Right. We walked by trash on the ground and I would pick it up and put it in a trash can. You have to have your bar set at the level of expectation you expect from everyone else. Mm -hmm. And because everyone's bar will be at or below yours. And that's how you have to act every day mm -hmm. where your bar is expect everyone else's to be slightly lower. Mm -hmm. So if your bars on the ground, then that's the expectation you're giving everybody else. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you're the supervisor, the manager or the plant manager. The, the other piece is you have to learn to see. So what I mean by that, okay, the advantage that I had as a maintenance manager when I left a place and started at a new one is I had fresh eyes. Okay. But, oh, I would notice that over a period of time, those little problems became a part of the picture. Mm -hmm. because I would walk by them again because I'm consumed with everything else. I would see them every day for, for the first six months, and then all of a sudden I didn't see them anymore. Mm 
right? Because I've, I've become acclimated and I'm got all this other stuff on my mind and I'm not thinking about it, but you have to take a step back because we get sucked into the fire, right? Mm -hmm. And there's times, especially as a supervisor or maintenance manager, where you need to take a step back, take a deep breath and refocus and go out there again. Like you have a fresh set of eyes looking for problems, Mm -hmm. right? What it is, is we quit looking because we're so consumed with the fire. And so take a step back, go back out with fresh eyes. What I teach people, especially like uh, when you're looking for defects is the use of a flashlight. And I don't care if it's broad daylight, you use a flashlight because it helps your eye focus on the light. This is why the CSI people prefer the lights off because they have this field of view is huge. Mm -hmm. So you might miss something. So they shut the lights off. They use a flashlight because it helps them focus just on that one little specific area. And so my recommendation is, is to take a flashlight out with you and start looking for issues. When you see somebody jump up and grab a box off a conveyor because the corner of the box caught on something, that's a problem. They shouldn't be one. You put them at safety risk right? by having them overstretch and do stuff. Right. And you just walk by it. Like it's nothing like you don't care. If you truly care about people's safety, that's a problem. Right. And, and so it's all these little things and they start adding up all these little jams in machines. Guess what that's doing to the machine. It's Mm -hmm. fatiguing everything. Yeah. To the point to where you're going to start brunelling on bearings and chunks of metal are going to start flying off. And then it starts other defects. So if you can eliminate all these little jams and all this stuff, right, that yeah. we consider a part of the picture, it frees you up. I'm telling you, it gives you a lot more time when things aren't breaking all the time. Uh-huh. And I think that point you're both making about seeing, especially what you just said, Joe, about things become part of the background is really profound. And that does seem to be a particular responsibility of that middle manager. Uh, uh, let's talk about the plant manager level, like the, 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 the senior maintenance leadership, because that is a responsibility, of course, but also there's a financial dimension to that part of becoming a fire marshal. Uh, so could you talk a little yeah. bit about... Yeah, what, how is it different at that plant manager level to, to their version of what it becomes, what it means to be a fire marshal? Well, it's a huge oh, financial impact, right? And so as all these minor stops and things that happen, because typically from what we're finding, maintenance breakdowns are only about 3% of plant losses. And so everybody thinks that there's a maintenance problem, but that's because they have this humongous, two humongous loss buckets called planned downtime and unplanned downtime. They don't take the time to break down those buckets and what all the losses are. So typically you're not walking into a maintenance problem. Typically you're walking into an operational problem, right? And those operational issues have a huge financial impact because you're not getting the throughputs that you paid for through designed equipment 
Okay. So your equipment is designed, say a line, you design it. Well, I'll give you an example. One line that we worked on, George and I together, was designed to do 60 million units. And they paid over $100 million for this line. Right. But their best year, I think, was 17 million units before we started helping. We started helping in a mid-year and they ended up with 25 million units, which was their best year. And this line had been in service for over five years. Mm. Right. But what happens is the new normal becomes, well, the best we can do is 17. So now that's our ideal rate. And they mask 40, 60, 80% of their capacity behind this thing they call an ideal rate. Mm. Instead of getting the design that they paid for out of this line. Mm -hmm. Right. And so your cost to produce goes through the roof. Mm -hmm. But what they do is they say, okay, well, now we have to pass it on to the customer. In some industries, you can. Mm. And they'll just accept it. In most industries, you can't because your competition will put you out of business. Especially in food and beverage. You know, that it's very tight margins and and cost to produce has to be lower to be competitive. Right. So if I can get, you know, for example, a 70 percent increase in throughput, but I have the same number of people working on the line, producing more units, my cost to produce and my cost per unit drops significantly. Right. So there is that financial aspect and the impact of of firefighting. So what can I do to get that money back? Well, one, as a top leader, you remove obstacles. Your job is there to listen. What problems do we have and what you can do to help remove those obstacles? That is the biggest thing at the leadership level and supporting them and and defending them at times, you know, you're going to have to, because I don't agree with that. Why did you let them take this machine down? Why did you, you know, and that's where you have as a maintenance manager, a plant manager, or a senior director or whatever, you have to take the bullets sometimes mm-hmm. and say, listen, our integrity's on the line here. We're about doing things the right way. I have confidence that they're going to do it the right way. Right. Yeah. So, you can blame me if this fails, right? And and taking the heat off of these guys and some of the pressure and removing obstacles, I think. And, and then developing a relationship again with the operational folks is <laughs> it's key. Whether yeah. it's your peer, your peer going, listen, you guys have severe gaps that are leading to a lot of issues. And I would love to work with you to solve a lot of these problems. Mm-hmm. instead it's maintenance versus operations and we're punching each other and it's it's ridiculous yeah but somebody at some point has to grab the bull by the horns mm-hmm. and do something sitting there and blaming and cussing and screaming and fighting does nothing for the organization at some point there has to be this one person that steps up, grabs the bull by the horns and says, I'm not accepting this. We need to be different. You're either with me or against me, but I'm going to do what I can to convince you that this is the right way of doing things. And I want to work with you and solve problems. And then the final piece of that is you don't know it all. 
So seek outside help. It makes the journey go a lot quicker. You can spend years with your pride thinking that you can do it all on your own. And, you know, trust me, I thought I could and it never worked out in my favor. Not till I got really good at what I do. Right. It's that moment that I realized that, man, this has taken me five years to get to where I want to get when I could be doing this in six months or less if I had the right help. Right. And Mm -hmm. so don't be afraid to seek outside help. Now vet the help just, you know, because everybody calls himself a consultant doesn't mean they know anything. And, you know, I have huge trust issues in larger corporations because you're just another number to them. Right. And so find people that know how to do, you know, plant turnarounds or help solve maintenance issues, help solve operational issues you know, that people like actually get results and you will be surprised how quick you catch on and your skill set goes to the moon. Right. And your ability to take that knowledge with you. I think at the plant manager level and at the senior leadership level, sometimes they feel like the organization should fix itself. So they, they say, well, we've empowered everybody and they're just not doing it. Mm. I think there's a fundamental lack of understanding of what empowerment is. Empowerment is not a leader who stands on a stage and says, you're empowered. That's, that's a minor, minor piece of an empowered organization. The more difficult piece is the acceptance of empowerment. And for an employee to accept empowerment requires them to have the confidence to act empowered, the knowledge to identify where to act empowered, and the skill set to implement that empowerment. And on top of all of that, the understanding that if it fails, it will still be rewarded because they act empowered. And if those things are not in place, you can stand on the stage all you want and tell your organization they're empowered to make a difference. And it's not going to make a difference. You've got to get them skilled and trained enough to to make a difference. And they have to be comfortable enough to make a difference through confidence and knowing that the organization is not going to backlash when something doesn't go well. Because if If you do have an empowered organization and five things go well and one doesn't, you're still better off. But if you're in an organization where that blame now gets placed on the one time it didn't work out, do not expect your organization to act empowered. You can say they're empowered all you want, but that's not the same. They're two different things. As you're both pointing out, the the issue when, uh, when, when the culture turns towards blaming instead of taking responsibility that that's a very quick way to get people to hide their behaviors instead of bring them out in the open so you can see them and fix them and modify them and, and improve well they hide numbers they hide everything yeah there's no they're always green right, right. all the time they're green mm-hmm. and they have the worst facility right mm-hmm. and when it comes to practices but somehow they're always green Right. And so that shows you that KPIs are used as browbeaters instead of improvement metrics. The reason you measure something is to improve. So red is a good thing. It shows opportunity. Right. 
And what instead, actions, right? What actions do you them. take when they're green? You right. don't take any actions. Right? No, but that's why you want to show green so the heat stays off your back because you're getting beat with a baseball bat with KPIs. Well, because your ego means more than learning and improving. Well, and that, so, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure, because it all rolls up, right? So, yeah, it, I don't it, know. It's crazy. The, the, the entire reactive, not just reactivity, but plant performance, all of those all the successes for the individuals and for the success of the plant, the tipping point is when you recognize it's your fault. And it doesn't matter what position you're in. It doesn't matter what your title is. When you recognize and own the performance of everyone else, and it doesn't matter if you're the janitor or the plant manager, anyone can begin to raise the bar for everyone else. And so when you self-reflect and accept the fact that the plant's performance rests on the you having your bar raised and influencing others to raise their bar, that's what will start turning the plant around. I compare it to wanting to be like a Peyton Manning, right? Peyton Manning is the type of leader that made everyone around him better. Mm-hmm. You didn't hear... You hadn't heard the only name on the Broncos team that you heard outside of Manning was Vaughn Miller at the time. You didn't know who their receivers were. You didn't know who their tight end. You didn't know who anyone was. Now, all of a sudden, these receivers and running backs are making the Pro Bowl. And a main driver behind that is a leader like Peyton Manning that made people better. The coaches above him didn't make Peyton the person he is. The You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He came in from from college and being developed through all that, being the person that he was to focus on making people better around him. Right. And it didn't matter what level he was in the organization. The point is, is that he had an effect on a lot of people and right. a lot of people became pro bowlers and all stars or whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. Right. Your goal should be it doesn't matter what level the plant is to influence others in a way in which you make them better. And I'm struck too by that analogy too, Joe. It doesn't, didn't matter what team he was on. It doesn't. I mean, he, he won a Super Bowl with the Colts and then won a Super Bowl with the Broncos. That's, right. that's what you know. And, and now he's making ESPN better where his, his Monday night yeah. show is actually yeah. going is, to, is, from what I can tell, it's starting to be as popular as the main feed, you know? Yeah. He's, well, he's, you think about it, right? Julius Thomas was a Pro Bowl tight end. He left mm-hmm. the Broncos after Manning left. Have you heard of him? Mm-hmm. You haven't heard anything from Demetrius Thomas, the same thing. Like it's like he made them so good. Right. Because of the type of leader that he was. And again, that happens in any level of the organization. It doesn't matter where you are. I got a soft spot for Manning too, because he led my fantasy team in 2006 to the only (laughs) champion. (laughs) <laughs> might be better <laughs> yeah, that's awesome well with that let's look ahead to the next episode which is which is titled um knowing where you stand it's a lot of what we laid the foundation for today which is being able to see your organization and, and then act once you see uh what's in front of you so we'll wrap up the fire marshal discussion thanks george thanks joe for being here today mm-hmm. appreciate it